This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Fiona McIntosh, welcome back to Better Reading. I'm thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me on again, Cheryl. I've got to say, you're looking radiant. I know this is audio, but you are looking quite radiant. Oh, gosh. I, that, I feel great now. I'll, um, yeah, I'll yeah. go and do a lotto or something. I love winter. Um, I love the clothes and I, I like being cosy and I like it being miserable outside, but it does tend to make your shoulders drop a little bit. And so for you to say I'm looking radiant is a lovely compliment. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I think uh, it's all agreeing with you, Fiona. Now, <laughs> <laughs> let me introduce you to those uh, one or two people out there that may not have heard of you. Um, Fiona is an internationally best-selling author and well-loved amongst the better reading community. I mean, so well-loved. Can I tell you, I reckon if you wrote notes on a napkin, they'd read it. Oh, I, you know, I think I've got, I think you've got a brilliant audience. I think my own audience is the best, the best. They're so affectionate. There's just so much affection out there. And I think as writers, we're very lucky. I think readers are kind. People often say to me, and you'd, you'd experience the same thing. People often say to me, do you guys get trolled? Very, very rarely. I can't remember the last time, yeah. you know. Maybe when yeah. I was just starting out there was a bit of it, but now yeah. it's just support and loyalty and love yeah. and affection and, yeah. you know, it lifts you up on all that lovely oxygen. And it actually what it does for me is it drives me to be better, to uh, deliver more, to deliver more often, to try and answer what they want from me because loads of people say, can you write about Central? You can't really always order it up, but I do try and deliver what's being asked. So, And that's because they're so good to me. You know, yeah. um, I want to give back all the time. Do you know what I'm just, I just thought of now? I mean, I guess what, 20, I mean, I can't remember how long social media has been around, <laughs> but let's say 20 or 30 years ago, you authors must have relied on mail, I guess, for feedback. Would that be right? Yes, a few letters. And, yes. you know, the letters tended to be the negative ones. If I go back 20 years, if somebody had enjoyed my you only heard if you toured and they'd tell you, but you tended to get letters when they, for some reason, had wanted to take task with you over something. And I think that's so in life. We, we tend to make a comment when we've got something a little bit negative to say. But social media, if there's one very good thing about it, it means that the community can talk to each other in a very generous way as well. Mm. And and I get all the lovely feedback. I mean, right now it's zinging around about Mirror Man and that's just making me think, right, I've got to get a new crime going. You know, mm. 
it's it's a very positive experience for me. And so. you'll see this on your social media as well. I mean, sometimes, you know, a reader might not like a book and they will say, I'm struggling with the first hundred pages of so-and-so and I can't get through. And what I really love is when other readers just jump in, no, keep going, you know, yes. you're like, you know, I just love that. I really love yes. that interaction. Yeah, so it's really absolutely. nice. Anyway, let me finish introducing you. Fiona um, has writes historical novels, uh, most recently The Champagne Wars and The Pearl Thief, and both those books are in our uh, top 100 this year. Congratulations to have two books in the top 100. But today we're talking about Mirror Man and it continues her crime series about Detective Chief Inspector Jack Hawksworth showing Fiona's talent for crime writing alongside sweeping historical dramas. I've got to say from the minute we started talking about this book on, on our site, I mean, again, the comments haven't stopped. So you're a master at crime as well. Oh, look, I'm, uh, what can I say? I I love, I love crime. I read a lot of crime. Um, so although I write historical and that's my big love, when you uh, are writing into a, a space, you tend not to read as much as you would into that space because there's a sort of a general nervousness that you don't want to copy another person and you don't want to steal someone's idea or use someone's idea for your own. It's just a funny thing. I think it's true of everyone, but I started feeling like this when I was writing fantasy, that I stopped reading it and started reading historical. But crime has always been a um, my first love when it comes to reading. So I know what the audience wants, I think. So I do find it I, I won't say easy to write, but I find it comfortable to write. But the gap between the last novel is 12 years, so I was quite worried about stepping back into those very big shoes of Jack Hawksworth. But uh, Jack's back. I'm very excited, yeah. I'm just going to touch on that point of yours about, you know, not copying or, you know, being very careful about what you read and then what you write. Do you know, it happens so unknowingly sometimes. I'm not a writer, but let's have flick through home magazines or I flick through cookbooks and then all of a sudden I've come up with this brilliant idea of putting this cushion there against this chair and then two <laughs> weeks later my sister will say I saw that in a magazine I think yeah wow and I came up with it no I didn't I saw it <laughs> but I can't remember that I saw it and I think it's my idea <laughs> you have to be careful right look it's easy to slip into it's easy also to be inspired by other writers and their ideas and to think oh, that could work, you know. So um, I just steer clear of my own space as yeah. much as I can so that I can put my hand on my heart and say, I don't even know the book you're talking about or I haven't read the book you're talking about. So you are known with your historical fiction of just writing with such accurate research, you know, such lived research. So obviously I'm hoping none of it is lived. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the di that different process. Oh no, it's uh, do you know it's exactly the same for me. It's just a different headset uh, mindset, I should say. So I went to London and Yorkshire and Hastings. Ah. About I went to London three times for this book. Okay, um, I have to walk the streets. Cheryl, I have to. And it's a, you know, with my historicals, I'm in lush, beautiful landscapes and magnificent old hotels or buildings. But with the crime, I'm in grimy streets and trying to find those grittier um, settings for the crime. So it's not as enjoyable, um, but I am doing this 
identical due diligence. I am walking, talking, interviewing people. I'm walking in and out of pubs. I'm finding potential places for a good murder to take place and how that might happen. And above all, I'm trying to find experts in their field. So I was usually walking with a retired detective who was very happy to jump in with me and take me all over to these places and say, no, they wouldn't, the body wouldn't be there. The body would be here. This is where they put the body in. And the, uh, you know, the, the criminal team would come through and cordon off this area and this is what they would do. And I had to get it accurate for that year as well because we're in 2007. It's very easy to think 2007 is like today, but it's not. But, you know, it's a, it's almost two, not quite two decades, but 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. things change and we evolve and we have different practices. So I had to get it right. Just researching the phone that the policeman would have been using in that era in 2007, mobile technology has come a long way. So I'm on the ground as much as I am mm. for the historicals, you know, I'm just not in dusty old museums. I'm more out and about, or drinking just, champagne somewhere, beautiful. <laughs> or drinking, <laughs> or eating chocolate, or <laughs> making perfumes, or yes. <laughs> so tell me about you know where Mirror Man came from, like the seed of the idea, and also too, I love the development of character in your stories. I mean, and that's because the others are standalone virtually, aren't they? The historical fiction. But I really like the continuum because I am a person, I am a reader that when I leave a book, I do worry about what happens to them, what the characters are doing after I've gone. Yeah. Why I like a series. I mean, they're standalone, (laughs) but they've got the character. And I like that. Yes. I, I, it's a helpless thing. Once you've got a character who's going to keep occurring in the books. I didn't want him to be just like James Bond with a a whole new cast around him. I wanted to bring the original cast with him. And in fact, I even bring an original villain all the way through to book three. Uh, I don't know how that's quite happened, but that particular villain needed closure for everybody. So that person appears in book one, book two, and and also in book three in the background. And so everyone was demanding to know, so what happened to that person? So I needed to tie up all the loose ends there. But along with Jack comes his team, and I think we've got to know them. And I enjoy get um, what happens to them, particularly that relationship between him and D.I.K. Carter, which is prickly at best. Um, and then we've got Sarah with her anorak. And, you know, I mean, there are new characters, but I think, like you say, you, you quite like this continuation. So do I. It's very comfortable and comforting and I like to have to characters see, I know. Yeah, I like to see characters age as well. Mm. You know, mm. And develop. And, and develop, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so Jack is pretty unlucky in love, as yeah. we've discovered. So um, I always have to have some sort of romantic connection. So that's that's actually quite a challenge to, to, to keep him going because he is a bit like James Bond in that regard, that there's got to be a new woman, a new romantic interest for each book. Um, so he's coming across like some sort of gigolo, but he's not. He's actually not. Um He's lovely, actually, as a character. He's lovely to be with. Um, I will forgive him because there's been a few years between <laughs> the books. So between the women. True. Yeah. So it's not Absolutely like right. he's Absolutely just right. Thank you. <laughs> he's not no, picking a woman right. up once a year. No, no, no. That's not. No. <laughs> um, 
And so I just the enjoyment of writing crime, when you start, do you have, do you know where it's going? Or do you go with it? No, absolutely. No, I've, I write all my books like this, no idea. And you'd think with crime I'd make some sort of attempt to plan this and sort of know who the bad person is and work backwards, but no, it's nothing like that. And you did sort of say, where did this come from? It came out of a discussion, a regular discussion that I think we've had with friends, but also my husband as a newspaper man, old newspaper man, he felt this absolute rage about sentencing and that sentences never feels enough justice in the sentencing that are given to criminals and particularly people who've been brutal or deliberately careless. You know, they've broken a family, they've ruined a family for the rest of their life, Mm. but their life continues. You know, they do their time. It might be a relatively short time, which is frustrating and appalling for the collective public that look on and think, how can that be? How can you get only six years for that, but be out in three for doing that to, you know, a family? So there is this ongoing dilemma for um, justice. But, you know, it's an interesting dilemma because you can only follow the letter of the law and the precedents that have been set. Um, So we could sort of see it from all angles, but it keeps erupting, certainly in our household. And out of it came this idea. I thought, well, you know, there is, what if criminals were dying? How would we feel about that? How, what if criminals were being picked off? Um, and there's ambivalence. You'd think, so what? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about these people. They're bad people, you know. But the police force would have to treat them um, without ambivalence. They'd have to be absolutely rigorous in how they set about solving that crime. Mm-hmm. And so the idea sprang up out of that. And it became a very it has this moral dilemma, dilemma underpinning the story, which I find really interesting. And I think book clubs might like to sort of tear that down and, and discuss that. You know, how would we feel about if a crim is being killed and he'd got a light sentence for doing something really appalling? So mm. it's it's all wrapped up in today's problem of overfilled jails and does sentencing have any real effect on criminals or are you actually creating a career criminal by just putting them in jail? So it's, it's, there's lots going on in this story for me. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Yesterday I spoke to um, ABC Radio. I did a segment and she was asking me what's popular at the moment, what are people reading, and we did talk about Merriman. And I said there has been... Oh, thank you. Uh, firstly, I was going to say a resurgence, but then I realised it was a surgence. And you and I have been around long enough to know this. Like 10, 15 years ago, not a lot of people were reading Australian or crime written by Australians, right? Were they? And no. we used to go to the, we'd go to the Michael Connollys, we'd go to the Lee Child, we'd go to the Harlan Coburn. But now the, my first point is I always look for something written by an Australian. Why do you think that was and is now? I couldn't um, answer. I, she asked me that and I just thought, I, I'm not quite sure. Oh, I just think we've gained in confidence uh, as writers and I think we watched this happen with fantasy. When I decided to write fantasy, I was just catching this wave of publishers thinking, do you know what? Our Australian writers can do this pretty well. We don't have to buy it all in from America yeah. and from Britain. And we had that cultural cringe where we tended to look towards Britain and America for our storytelling. Meanwhile, we've got this great gang, I'm going back 21 years now, who are trying to write this genre, let's give them a go. And so they gathered us all up and we were on this massive steamroller and it took off not only here but overseas and Australians became very flavoursome um, in fantasy and we were being pu published and translated into all these foreign languages. And I don't think crime has ever gone out of fashion. I think I was reading crime novels and if I back when I was 17, 18, mm -hmm. when I was commuting to London, everybody was reading crime and thrillers. Um, nothing's changed. It's, it's an evergreen genre. But we were getting most of that from overseas. Once I came to Australia, there was only a couple of just mm -hmm. a handful of writers writing crime. The most of it came from overseas. And I think we've just grown up over the last 20 years and thought, no, we, we can do our own. And, of course, publishers are saying the Aussies can write not only Australians writing crime, but Australians writing crime set in Australia. And um, I think that's a beautiful thing. And although Mirror Man is set in Britain, I mean, Jack Hawksworth is a British detective, so I... I, I was going to say I can't change that, but if I write a fourth book, it's going to be written as an from an Australian point of view. I'll bring him out to Australia for one reason or another, and it will be set here. So, yeah, I think we've just proved time and again that we are good enough, and not only that, just like you said, Cheryl, the audience embraces an Australian writing about Australia, and I just think there's a, a rich resource of writers now that they're, they're everywhere writing crime, whether it's cozy crime or hard edge crime or police procedurals or, um, you know, domestic noir, all of this. And of course, um, the small town crime full of secrets and, you know, that sort of thing. That's all the rage at the moment. So I, 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 I agree with you. I think that's what I think that's what it is. It's just confidence. It's just a matter of we're our own. We have our own writers now. Let's look after them. I think we're really lucky. I feel that we just have a plethora of writers to choose from, you know, and I, I feel that that's hugely lucky. 
Tell me, how has COVID changed the way you write? Has it physically, like where you write and what you do? Because some of the some authors that I've spoken, I've spoken to quite a few authors over this period, and some of them are like, "Well, nothing's changed for me. I never left my room anyway." <laughs> um, others have, you know, had children and partners in the house and have found it a struggle. But others have changed their thinking as well in terms of writing. Has it had any effect on you? Oh, profound. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I stay, luckily for us, for my family, we've moved as a, just a couple, because our boys are grown up. We've moved as a couple to live on a farm. So we're far away from where all the problems are, the big city problems. And I'm not saying COVID can't affect us, but we do feel we're on the rim of it out here in the middle of nowhere. So I haven't left my um, writing space, as that particular author said, although I finally have a writing space. I've never had my own office and I suddenly have my own huge studio. Yeah, so we've been able to build that here. But also um, the profound effect on me is all of my stories are written, are set overseas. So for this writer, it's an extraordinary 180 degrees shift I've had to do. It was terrifying back in 2020 when I round about March 2020 when I realized we didn't know how this thing was going to really impact and by the time I'd got to June I realized it was it was going to be enormous and we weren't going to pedal out of this anytime soon and so I had to start looking inwards and that's why for 20 all of 2020 and 2021 I was researching a novel set in Australia for my historical so that's daunting. I've never had to do that before. And same with the crime. Although I had done the research for Mirror Man, I was very lucky. I now, if I'm going to write another crime, it's going to have to be set here. And it forces you to get really creative. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. It's a good thing for me. For me, it's had only benefits. I mean, I hate not traveling, but it has forced me to get really sharp about my ideas and my storytelling. And I've got a couple of brilliant ideas for crimes um, set in Australia. So, uh, and it's very easy to research because it's here, I can get to it. Um, and I don't have to travel to the ends of the earth to get it. Do you think you've got less distractions? Like I spoke to George Saunders, um, he's over in the United States, and he said that he's learned a couple of things. Well, one, the negatives for him is he's missed seeing his children because they're on the other side of America, and, and there's there's all of that, and there's lots of hardship for a lot of people. But the benefits for him, for him is it made him a more disciplined writer, and he always has been lured by the touring and publicity. He's always quite enjoyed it, but he feels now that that's a distraction is not going anywhere anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel as a discipline that it's changed your habits? No, because I'm a very disciplined writer anyway. I have very strict rituals and writing times and so and I haven't changed that I've stuck to it but what it has given me is more time um, because there are less distractions so that is how I've been able to write two books that are coming out this year um, simply by having more time it's also given me more time to think because we're not on the move as much definitely not I mean I would have been by now, what's it's June, I would have been overseas at least twice by now, and I would have been interstate about three or four times by now. Well, I haven't been anywhere, you know, so you do get a lot more time. So more time to think, to plan, to bake, to devour 
streaming, television, all that sort of thing. And that's not bad. All of that nourishes the writing. You know, if you watch really good drama, I keep telling my masterclasses this, if you don't watch rubbish reality TV, watch good drama and it will nourish your storytelling in ways you can't imagine. So, no, it hasn't changed my discipline. It's actually just given me more time to get more imaginative uh, with ideas. I've got ideas toppling out of me and there's only one pair of hands to to write this the stories so if I well, can claim myself <laughs> I think our readers are going to be very happy to hear that <laughs> <laughs> loads of stories I just can't stop them I, I wish I could switch my mind off the other thing I've done I used to and I know this is getting off topic a little bit but I used to People used to say, how do you get so much done in a day? And it would be because I would make my day really long. I would, you know, um, go to bed really late, like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, still not writing, but I might be watching my television at that time rather than um, as long as I got my writing done, I'd, I wanted to get everything else done, exercise, masterclass stuff, baking. And so the day was really long. Now I don't have to make my day that long. And I'm appalling myself by getting into bed at 10.30, which is like for babies, isn't it? But you do get that lovely long sleep and you do feel very refreshed for the next day. So I think that's how it's delivered to me, that it just gives me more creative time. I'm going to say because I'll have to be truthful because somebody will pick up on it. I do talk about a lot in my podcast. I do go to bed, Fiona. <laughs> I don't know. It's pre-babies even. <laughs> I go to bed at 9 or 9.30 every night. You do not. I You're do. like my husband. I do. I think if he could get into bed at 7.30, he yeah. would. But that's because have... he's doing a lot of physical stuff. <laughs> I have a rule. You can't get into bed before 8.30. That's my rule. But 8.35, 8.40. <laughs> I do get no. up at 5.30. Oh, no, I don't. I don't get up that early. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I've even set something on my watch that it makes a little, like, lullaby that says, time to go to bed. And it's really hilarious how that makes me hurry up, brush my teeth and, you know, jump into bed and think, oh, gosh, I mustn't let this, you know, uh, I mustn't be late. Um, I don't always go to sleep straight away. I might listen to a podcast or I might listen to some music or, you know, I might lie there thinking, but I'm in bed. Whereas before, I would still have another two or three hours to go where I was cramming stuff in. Yeah. Wow. I can never even count to three before I fall asleep. Now, (laughs) I'm that annoying person. And if I haven't had seven hours, then I'm not happy. But I want to talk about, and you'll know this as well, COVID has been good to authors, to publishers, to better reading because people have taken solace in reading. Now, Mm. going back to what you were saying, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen in March. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, the fear that we all had. fear, yeah. uh, Yeah, about what's going to happen. And then very soon, by May, people, you know, bookshops were selling more books. You know, we doubled in size. And that has just given me a great, in all this bad news that we get, in all the no travelling, in all the, you know, I mean, there's just been so many awful sides to COVID, how it's impacted people's lives. But what makes me happy is that people turn to stories. Mm. I think every writer in Australia who is published by one of the majors would have felt the positive effect Mm. of the one positive effect for us that came through COVID, which is that people needed entertainment um, and they needed a way to escape 
the real world. I mean, it's very crushing what's going on. It's mm. horrific. Mm. And sometimes you just need to switch off. Otherwise, we would just watch 24-7 bad news. And we were becoming like, how many today? How many more infections today? It's very easy to get wound up in that and get scared and then just panic for your children and all. And I understand that because I'm one of you feeling mm. like that. I mean, I wanted just both my boys to come home mm. and just find a way to work out of our home sort of thing. But uh, yes, it's been incredibly positive, not just book sales. It's it's actually not that. It's more about that people have dis- rediscovered the absolute joy that there is in that one-on-one with a novel and that how you can disappear into your imagination and get completely lost with this cast of characters. It doesn't matter if there's death and destruction and horror going on in that story. You know, it's the drama you're feeding off, but it's not your drama and you know it's a fictional drama. So it it is a way of just completely switching it all off, turning down the sound and just letting the world go on pause whilst you enjoy this story. And I think it's been a grand escape for a lot of people. I'm very proud that people did turn to books and I'm thrilled to be part of that fraternity that is delivering those stories for them. Because you're right, it's not about book sales and it's not about business. I I really felt tremendous and deep joy for people that, because people would stop me in the park and say, Cheryl, I've read a book. I haven't read a book for, you know, five years. And I would ask them why. But it was actually because they didn't want to hear the numbers anymore. They didn't want to hear, you know. And it is the solace of that, that that you can escape into somebody else's life, into somebody else's story. And, yeah, it could be crime, it could be anything, but it takes you away from the reality reality that you're living at the moment. And I think that that's very comforting. And children have been reading a lot more. I think people, like you said, who normally maybe wouldn't have time Mm. to pick up a book or don't think they have time to pick up a book or have never really felt that being drawn. We've now got a whole new audience that Mm. is um, listening to books you know, you digitally reading yeah, books. Yeah, loving it. Oh, my gosh. Get the right narrator. Get the right <laughs> yeah. narrator and it's amazing. Yes, Isn't it amazing? Absolutely. It's like being read uh, too. Yeah. I love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Fiona, I've got to let you go. Always love chatting with you. I've just noticed too that your watch matches your jumper. <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm one of those annoying people, You're all people, matching. You're all matching. <laughs> She's wonderful, and I'm sure you all agree with me out there. Fiona McIntosh, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure, Cheryl. See you next time. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, 
everywhere. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.